Hello, good morning and welcome to my front room, which I'm sure like many of you is where I'm spending a lot of my time here in lockdown. I'm here with my wife Helen and my twin boys Joshua and Luke who are three and a half and Eva who is two. And I don't know what it's like for you, but I'm floating somewhere between feeling like this is incredibly fun. I get all this extra time with my family. Uh, this is a real blessing. I'm never going to get this time back. And then other times feeling like, oh, this is incredibly frustrating. Oh, I get to spend all this extra time with my family. Oh, I need some space. Going from feeling like I want to smother them with love to smother them with a pillow. <laughs> Whatever you're feeling like, um, I'm praying that you're knowing the peace of the Lord. You're knowing his joy and his presence. And know this, the Lord is with you. Whatever your situation is like at home. Right at the beginning of lockdown, Joshua and Luke, my boys, entered a phase that has made it particularly challenging to be in lockdown. And that is the phase of why. Why is the caterpillar very hungry? Why is the gruffalo running away from the mouse? Why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? I mean, I don't even know some of the answers to these questions. I have to say, I don't know. And it's funny when you hear the answers being repeated back to you because the other day I was making dinner and Joshua was going, why this, why that? And Luke is much more um, matter of fact about these things. Just said to him, Joshua, it just is, all right? <laughs> Maybe I need to come up with a different response. Um, but it did make me see Easter in a completely different way this year because it was Easter Sunday and Joshua asked me, Daddy, why is Jesus alive? I thought, oh, now you're talking. Sit down there, little man. And I'm going to tell you all about the resurrection. I'm going to give you my best 15-point sermon and see if you'll ever ask why again. <laughs> but of course, it did get me thinking. Why is Jesus alive? It brought it home to me much more this year. Why is Jesus alive? Why is it so significant? What difference does it make to me? What difference did it make to the disciples. Those of you who have been journeying with us over the past couple of weeks as we've been looking at the beginning of Acts will know that the disciples have been through an awful lot as we get to this point. On Good Friday and the day before we see that Jesus is arrested. He goes through a trial and the disciples who said I will go with you to death desert him and then Jesus cruelly brutally is beaten and hung on a cross to die and then as he dies their hope dies too. But miracle of all miracles, Jesus comes back to life. He's alive and he appears to them many, many times. And we see that the disciples um, think that he's going to be around forever. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to go. But don't worry, I'm going to send you someone who will clothe you from on high. Will give you the power to be able to go and deliver the gospel. He will be exactly like me. He will enable you to preach the good news of Jesus. To the whole world and then Jesus is taken from them and raised and ascended back up to heaven as we heard last week and he is the eternal king he is the exalted king he is the king over all seated again at the father's right hand and then the disciples see the angels come to them and say why are you looking here Jesus will come back again and the disciples go back into Jerusalem and that's where we pick up the story here in Acts 1 and from verses 12 to 14. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, 
Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And if you want to see the rest of the stories, we read the rest of Acts 1. I'm going to do an extended version or a, a different version that you will be able to pick up on YouTube. But for now, I just want to focus on this passage because I believe the Lord has something significant that he wants to say to us. What was the disciples' response to what Jesus had done? Going up into heaven, promising them the Holy Spirit. It was to go back and to be constantly in prayer. Now think about the difference between the disciples in the Gospels. The disciples we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and the disciples here in Acts 1. At no point do we see the disciples praying in the Gospels. We see Jesus praying. In fact, Jesus often prayed. It said he often withdrew himself into a quiet place so that he could pray, so that he could be with his father. But not the disciples. And actually, you might think that it's reasonable. Jesus himself talks about fasting, which is often linked with prayer. Jesus himself talked about the fact that the disciples don't need to fast because I'm still here. But there will come a time when they will pray, when they will fast. But that's not the only difference we see from the disciples. We see that they were fearful. Right at the end, when Jesus is arrested and then he stands trial and then he is crucified, the disciples desert him. They go away and then when he's died, they lock themselves in a room. And it says in John chapter 19, uh, sorry, John chapter 20, that they were fearful of the Jews. They locked the door and then Jesus enters the room anyway. You see, the disciples were fearful at this point and they had no idea what all this meant. And then it changes. The resurrection comes. And what do they do? They turn their fear into prayers they go from being this place of withdrawing, not praying, to a place where they will pray. What had happened? Jesus had come back to life. Jesus had proved himself to be all he said he was. And so that when they pray and when we pray, they know that they can pray to the exalted king. The king who's conquered death. The king who has gone back up to heaven. Who is now at the right hand of the father. Who now has all authority and all power to, uh, to listen to them, to hear them and to intercede on their behalf. To come to the father on their behalf and answer their prayers. They now know that they can pray to the exalted king. Because Jesus is alive. Jesus being alive means that the impossible is now possible. And when Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life. When Jesus says he is the way and the truth and the life. When Jesus says he is the bread of life, that he is the light of the world. All these things, when he says that, it is true. It has to be true because Jesus has conquered the ultimate death. He has conquered the ultimate problem of death. And he is alive. He has to be who he says he is. He has to be the king. He has to be the name above all names. The one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine as Paul writes in Ephesians. Jesus, who was dead, is now alive. And that proves that his death was enough for them. His death was enough to cover all their mess ups, to cover all their screw ups, to cover all their sin. His death was enough and has been proven to be so because Jesus has conquered it and now makes a way for us to come to the Father and come into a relationship with God and to pray to him. And when we pray, we know that he answers. See, Jesus is alive and now he is risen and exalted with the Father. It says in Ephesians 1, Paul writes, that Jesus has been 
uh, has, is now seated at the right hand of the Father, above all rule and authority, all power and dominion, and every name it, that is invoked, both in the present age and the age to come. And all things are now under his feet. So when we pray, we come before this Jesus. When we pray to him, when the disciples pray to him, they come before this Jesus, who is able to do those things, who is able to do all that he said he could. The disciples will have heard the words of Jesus in Luke 10 and verse 18, when he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now think about it. At the time, they probably didn't understand. But now that they see that Jesus is risen again and he is ascended back to be on the right, at the right hand of the Father, when they see that, they know that Jesus saw Satan fall. So there is nothing the enemy can do. Not even death can separate them from the love of God. No, Jesus makes a way and he is proven to be the exalted king. But it's more than that. It's even more exciting than that because Jesus' authority has now been delegated to us on the earth. The next verse from Luke 10, verse 19 says this, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. This is the promise that Jesus gives us. And that promise is vindicated, it's made completely true. It is made certain because Jesus is the risen and exalted King. So think about this. The authority and power that was given to Jesus, that is given to Jesus. The authority and power, the same power that God exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead, has now been given to you. So that when we pray, it makes a difference. We have been given authority to trample on snakes. So whatever snakes are in your life right now, whether it's sickness, whether it's a lack of provision, whether it's mental health, whether it's a situation of brokenness or, or difficulty that you can't overcome on yourself, uh, on your own. Jesus has given you authority to trample all over it. And if it is sickness, you can declare over your life, I will be well in Jesus' name. If it's a mental health issue, you can declare over your mind, I will be well in Jesus' name. If it is a provision issue, you can declare over that snake that Jesus is your provider and he will give you all that you need in Jesus' name. No harm will come to you. Nothing will harm you because the enemy has no power. Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning to the ground. And Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. So in the name of Jesus, we can receive all the promises that he gives us, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The promises of the life that he wants to live us, the life that he wants to give us. Now it is true that we do sometimes stand in the gap between the promise that God gives us and the prayers that we are praying and seeing the reality of it come to being. Now think about the disciples. Day one, after Jesus ascended into heaven, they've been promised the Holy Spirit. Day one, they pray, no Holy Spirit. Day two, they pray, no Holy Spirit. Day three, they pray, no Holy Spirit. And it continues all the way to day 10, and then the Holy Spirit comes. But it says here that they prayed constantly. That in the gap, they prayed and they prayed in line with the promises that God gave them, and then the Holy Spirit came. Now, some of you might be thinking, 10 days, that's nothing. 
I've been praying for this thing for years. Not 10 years, maybe more. So it's 10 days seems very small. But think about the promise that the disciples were given that Jesus would come again. It is very clear throughout the New Testament that they feel, the disciples know that Jesus is coming soon. Here we are 2,020 years later and we are not seeing that promise fulfilled. But it will come. And what Jesus asked for us to do in the gap is to know that that promise will be fulfilled. The promise for whatever is in your life that God will come through for you will be fulfilled because Jesus has gone and ascended to be with the Father and proved that nothing is impossible. And in the meantime, he asks to partner with us as we pray to him so that we can account to him. And we pray to this exalted king who has submitted everything under his feet and can bring us all that we need. Before we went into lockdown, I was in a place called Silverdale, which is just south of, of Stoke. And I was in a place where I was getting some teaching on um, how we can evangelise the people around us. We went out onto the street and I prayed for this lady. This lady came to me, she said, oh, I've got this terrible eye problem. Um, it's, it's red, it's angry, it's inflamed. I'm going to have to go to the opticians later today. And so I said, can I pray for you? And she said, sure. And I declared over her life that in Jesus' name, that she would be well. And instantly she was healed. Instantly she was healed. And she received God's healing. And in that moment, I invited her into a relationship with Jesus. And she didn't at that point. But later on in the evening, when the gospel was preached, she gave her life to Jesus. You see, in that moment, I took authority in Jesus' name that has been delegated to us and declared that she would be well. Now, if we stand in the gap where we haven't seen the miracle that we want to see Jesus, keep going and pray constantly. And when we pray, we know that we are praying in line with what the Lord has for us. And the more we pray, the more we see what God has for us, the more we pray in line with his will, and the more we will see the miraculous happen. But it starts with praying to the exalted king. But also the disciples prayed because they wanted to encounter the exalted king. They wanted to meet with him. They wanted to be intimate with him. I wonder what it was like for them. Think about it just for a second. They'd been with Jesus for three years, more or less constantly. They knew him well. He was their leader, their comforter, their best friend. And now he was gone. And yet they were promised this, this one who would be exactly like him, the Holy Spirit. They were promised that they would be able to be intimate with him again. And here they are in between times, praying for that intimacy, praying to encounter the exalted king. And the disciples' faith, it must have grown. Think about it. They were fearful. They were locked in the upper room before the resurrection. And now it says that in Luke 24, at the end, right at the end, in verse 53, that the disciples were praising God constantly. They would have been making a noise. They would have been making a noise. So the fear, to a great extent, would have gone. And they were praying, knowing that as they prayed that they wanted to meet with the Lord. Their fear had gone and they knew that there was nothing like meeting with Jesus. And their, their fear had turned to faith. They knew that as they prayed, 
that actually Jesus would come through them. They'd been going and journeying with Jesus for three years. They'd seen the miracles, but they didn't get it. But once the resurrection happened, they thought, wow, we've seen this. And we've seen that Jesus is supreme authority over everything. And we can still meet with him. And as we meet with him, we can also do what Jesus did. Think about it. Jesus said that you can do even greater things than I have done. And the disciples are praying into all these things, even before the Holy Spirit comes. And how much more can we in this moment, having received the Holy Spirit, having received the Holy Spirit because he came on the day of Pentecost, we can do the same thing. We can have intimacy with the living God through the Holy Spirit. Wow. Daily we can come before him. In fact, more than that, moment by moment, praying constantly, allowing the Holy Spirit to shape us and to change us and to make us more like him so that we can best represent him and best do the work that he has called us to do. But there is a challenge here, isn't there? I don't know about you, but when I've heard sermons on prayer or read books on prayer, sometimes it can make me feel guilty. In fact, I come from a family of, of prayers my grandparents were Baptist ministers and um, I know that on a daily basis they got up early and prayed and prayed and prayed. Pretty much every day of my life until they died, they prayed for me and I was covered in those prayers. And I used to think, they're retired, why on earth do they still need to set their alarm for 6 or 6.30? And then they're down for breakfast at like half nine. It's because they spent that time praying, praying to the Lord, interceding on my behalf, interceding on the church's behalf, interceding and praying to the Lord and coming before him and wanting to get to know him better, even in their 80s. You see, it's never too late and there is never a barrier. They gave their lives to praying. And I used to think, oh, I'm never going to be like that. You know, I started praying and when I was 10 or 11, I'd be in a position where I'm like, right, Lord, I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to give you my best prayer. And after about 30 seconds, I'd exhausted every word I possibly could in prayer and thought, well, what do I pray for now? But you see, I don't believe the Lord sees us as someone who has failed when we do that. I see the Lord looking at us as we're growing. See, I think about my kids and I've realised as since I've had the children that pretty much everything is learned apart from breathing and blinking and a couple of other things everything has to be learnt and when they learnt to walk and they stumbled and they fell and when they were in a position where they, they made a mistake as they walked and they hurt themselves I didn't berate them I didn't say how dare you grow up walk properly I said well done for trying keep going you'll get there and now as they try and master language and as they learn to hold pens and as, as they begin to start school in September, that growth continues. And I'll be proud of them every time they make a step. And I believe that's how the Lord sees us as we grow in prayer and we grow in intimacy with him. He longs for us to be with him. He longs for us to come into his presence. So even just a small step. If you can only pray 30 seconds prayers, great, start there. And then try a little bit more. If you can only read the Bible for 30 seconds, a couple of verses, start there and see where the Lord takes you. He longs for us to grow because we can encounter the exalted King. And maybe you've never experienced all that the disciples experienced. Maybe you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never met the risen Lord Jesus. 
You see, if we want to experience the power, experience the, the intimacy with the Lord, then we have to meet the risen Lord Jesus, who is exalted and seated now at the right hand of the Father. And he longs for us to do so because he longs to be in a relationship with us. And notice here that the disciples, in order to be intimate with the Lord, they were obedient. Think about this. They had everything they needed to start the church. They had seen the risen Lord Jesus. They had journeyed with him for three years. They'd been taught by him themselves. And yet Jesus says, but wait. And the disciples, in order to, uh, to be intimate with the Lord, they obeyed and they trusted him. And for those 10 days, they prayed constantly. And as they prayed, they drew, drew closer to him. And then the Holy Spirit came. And then they could go and do the work that the Lord had asked them. But it started with prayer. The Lord is calling us to trust him, to have faith in him, to pray to him and to be obedient to him. And as we do so, we draw intimately into a relationship with a loving father who is much better than I could ever be to my children. He knows exactly what to say and what to give us when we need it so that we can draw closer to him. And he is asking us to be intimate with him so that we can know him better. And so as we draw this to a close, I just want to pray. And actually, I want to pray for myself. I want to pray that I would surrender myself in obedience to what the Lord has asked me to do. That I would be like the disciples, willing to give up everything, to, to be in his presence. And I want to know the exalted and risen Lord Jesus. I want to know his power. I want to know him intimately so that whatever he asks me to do, I will do instantly and go and be prepared to give up even my life for the sake of knowing him. There is no greater thing. And I want to pray for each one of us that that would be our experience. And so I'm going to pray a prayer and I invite you to join in with me. It can either be a prayer of commitment, maybe for the first time to give your life to Jesus, to give your life to seeing the risen Lord Jesus, to inviting him to be your Lord and Saviour, to be the exalted King over your life, so that when you come before the Lord, you can come in prayer confident that he is on your side and he has already trampled every enemy in your life. Or maybe you pray this prayer as a recommitment, dedicating our lives to surrendering our everything before him, so that he can be the, the leader, so that when we come before him, we can know him and know what he wants for our lives, the purposes and the fruit and the power that he gives us through the Holy Spirit. And so we invite the Lord to fall on every one of us in our homes right now, to give our lives to Jesus again afresh, so that we might be in a relationship with him on a moment by moment basis, to pray to him, to love him, to allow him to rule our lives. So let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me enough to die on the cross for me. I'm sorry for living life my own way instead of your way. That changes today. I give my life to you 
I choose to follow you and ask you to teach me your ways. Thank you that I can live forever because you rose again. And so Holy Spirit, we pray, come now. We surrender to you. We want to meet with you. We want to know you better. Help us to grow in relationship with you and choose to pray constantly as the disciples did. And as we do so, we draw closer to you. Have your way, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit.